0: Let's pray. Father, as we share our lives together, we find that there's always someone going through certain experiences in life and challenges, and then another time it's someone else, and then another someone else, and we're fortunate, Lord, to be part of a church that uh, is growing in our areas of compassion as well as uh, Sherry had uh, expressed with us. We pray that we might learn to express ourselves in love and support as uh, the journey continues to go on. We do think of uh, Sherry and Vern and some of the challenges they've been going through and, and others as well, and we commit them to you and we commit ourselves to you. We pray that we might find ourselves being faithful and uh, being sensitive to your leading uh, so that we might uh, support one another in this journey. Thank you for your special love, those teaching moments, and thank you even for today. We pray that your word may uh, not only speak into our minds this morning, but it truly may touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, and I'll begin reading uh, through verses 1 through 14 first Kings chapter 11 cat is is wisdom and I'll simply mention in advance that one thing about uh, our family reunions is that uh, they get larger every year and uh, if you try to take the time intentionally to kind of get around and see how your family is doing and and all the children and the grandchildren and all the relatives, um, you realize that uh, life seems to be going a lot faster, and changes seem to be more frequent than we remember in, in, in earlier years. It seems like uh, most uh, younger people, they, uh, they don't work at the jobs as long as you know us older ones grew up doing the same thing for years and years and years. and and so always these changes, and uh, so they're always talking about, and it takes a lot more time to update on what they're doing, and lots of great things, but as every family has, uh, there's some hardships, some tragedies, some, some real trials, and, uh, and so what I realized is that in the midst of all that, um, you're, you're listening sometimes to some of the wisdom that is shared about experiences they went through, and lessons they've learned, and things they're applying in their lives. And so when we think about wisdom, we think about a man by the name of King Solomon, but we're going to look into a portion of the account of his life and realize that the wisest man known wasn't always so smart. And so each of us always needs an ongoing supply of the wisdom that only God can really give. Because when you and I are set in motion, we, gotta, we want to do something or we're going in some direction, it's purely by God's grace that he might slow us down and say, you may want to rethink about that. And really, as we, we think in terms of the direction of life, we all know the value of that wisdom, and we all know that the more we desire this wisdom from God, the better chance that God, in fact, will grant us that wisdom. First Kings chapter 11 uh, we'll begin uh, with verse 1, and I will read down through 14. Now, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides his daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Ebonites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon to them in love, he had seven wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wife stray. Solomon grew, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the god of Israel, and Alec, the detestable god of the Ammonites in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away the God of Israel, who he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it. During your lifetime, I will tear it out to the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe from the, for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite from the royal line of Edom. We'll drop down to verse um, 23. And God raised up against Solomon another adversary, and then we'll drop down to verse 26. Also, Jeroboam son of Nebat rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's official, an Ephraimite from Zeredah, and his mother was a widow named in Terms of uh, how God was working. Working in... As much as we make decisions and choices in life, many of the decisions that you and I make on a daily basis may not seem to make much of a difference. But yet on the other hand, each decision, every choice we make, seems to build upon the ones we made before and kind of sets the tone for the choices we make in the future. As we think of our get-togethers as family, we realize that I only simply heard the positive story on what's happening in their life, And yet, time obviously will tell as life goes on whether or not some of those choices were as wise as others. The greatest interest that my wife and I certainly have in all of our family members is how well their faith is doing. And sad to say, that's not always the leading topic. That's not always the beginning of a discussion. Sometimes that just never seems to appear. Yet we trust, as we go from one family reunion to the next, that at some point, that might increase as we journey on. But it's those choices we make in life that seemingly kind of shape and set the tone for how that's going uh, to unfold as we think of King Solomon. We think of the importance of constantly evaluating and weighing the choices because here is a man truly loving God in his younger days, and somehow, some way, it creeps in, it takes control, it absorbs him, to such an extent that he would be remembered probably more by his foolish decisions than the wisdom that he indeed uh, once had. As we think about the choices in life, we realize that our nation, we're about to celebrate one of the greatest holidays, as we think in terms of the Fourth of July, and decisions that were made many years ago, we trust, was for the good but I'm sure they were not pure, I'm sure they were not perfect, I'm not so sure that we really understand all the dynamics that took place, but decisions that are made will certainly have their lasting consequences in history. Some of those truly were positive things we trust, and yet there are some things that may not have proved to be so beneficial. It really was around those time period when we're on vacation visiting Nantucket Island and going back a long time in history and and going through some of the museums and hearing the stories. And it seems like a lot of the faith that the people had is no longer what keeps them focused to this day. And so we see over and over again that as time goes on, these little choices become bigger choices and they begin to continue uh, to move on. As we think about choices, I no doubt we, we probably are leaning more towards how do I make big decisions. The big decisions in life are really what we're concerned about. And yet it truly seems that the little decisions kind of set the tone for how you and I will go about trying to be assured that we are really gaining that wisdom from God. Some would say choices such as what shall I eat today or what shall I wear or what I should do as the first thing today or tomorrow. We say, well, those really are not that big of a choices. But on the other hand, some of those certainly set the tone for some of the other choices that you and I might make in life. As we think about the decisions or choices we make or how we go about doing them, uh, we are uh, encouraged to understand... That the decisions we make, the choices we make, are really important. And, uh, you know, we live in a world that seems to always have options. They always seem to communicate to us that, you know, you make one choice, there's always someone that will bail you out, cover you up, help you out, that kind of thing. So we live in a world that somewhat has not helped us always understand that this choice, whatever you make, you got to live with it good or bad, positive or whatever, and sometimes that feeling like even bad choices aren't so bad, what sometimes happens is when we have a faith and a relationship with God, we might also begin to get the thought that even bad choices in our relationship with God really don't have lasting thoughts. And that's hard to sometimes deal with because we believe in a God who is is overflowing with grace and mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness is always available. And yet we realize that slowly the little decisions in life, they do have a big effect upon us. But on the more positive note, we have numerous promises throughout scripture that teach us there's a vantage, a benefit to trust God. There's an advantage, there's a benefit to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We could go promise after promise that sometimes it's the little choices to trust, to believe, to give thanks, whatever it might be. God knows everything. And so we want to try to think in terms, not so much of just that bad choices give bad results, but there's also good choices. There's decisions that you and I make to keep on the forefront a faith that is real, a faith that's credible, a faith that is committed to uh, God. Those, these decisions, as we think about, they really have a huge impact upon our life, whether they seem to be small or not. Now, every one of us, no doubt, are aware that we're constantly making choices. Uh, we may not think about that so much when we're younger but the older you get i guess the more your brain actually spends more time looking back than it does ahead i guess maybe because there's a lot more time to look back than maybe we would dream about or anticipate ahead but the older you get you seemingly tend to see life and if any time you seem to forget about the importance of looking all you got to do is realize your kids have just made a statement and when your kids make a statement it's like where did that come from that statement would be something i would say and it kind of gives you the jolt, like, is that the way I think? Is that the way I act? Is that the way I respond? But then you see the grandchildren, and sooner or later you realize that they are in front of you is forced to be thinking about how I've influenced, what impact I've made, and how it plays into the second and third or whatever generation. We are all well aware, no doubt, that we're making choices, but sometimes most of the choices we make probably are not crises type of decisions, but they all tend to reveal what's deep within our hearts and lives. Whether it's simply an attitude we have for the moment and how we respond to it and deal with it, somehow it reveals where you and I are really at. And so it's a good thing to be able to be aware or attuned to the decisions that you and I are making, the thought processes that happen, the attitudes we hold, the grudges we hold, whatever it might be. Somehow they all mix together, helping us realize decisions we are making all the time. And they really do matter because they are going to shape the overall uh, direction of your life. Every choice you make, every decision you make is like taking a step forward. And that forward is taking us somewhere. It's ultimately going to lead us somewhere in life. And most of the decisions we make, we may not seem like it's really shaping the direction of life, but we realize that at least the decisions and choices that we are making, we really are concerned about the ones that definitely are shaping our life. And to humbly consider that as we look at King Solomon's life, we realize that even though the man was wise, without that humble, careful, constant awareness of what's happening, he can do some pretty crazy, wild things. Some of us have uh, made choices, and it went the other direction. made a huge difference in our life, and we discovered by a humble, honest moment God revealed to us or helped us become aware that that decision has really set the tone for a whole world of blessings. And so it may go in many different ways. We are aware that we constantly need uh, that input, that guidance, that wisdom that God can give. The first thing I want to mention about choices is every decision and choice, whether it's little or big, seems to uh, be important uh, even if at first it appears to not matter that much. Or sound that good. If we turn to the Proverbs, we are constantly reminded about the importance of wisdom. As uh, if you'd like to turn with me, look at Proverbs chapter 14. Why is it that we need to be careful and more aware of what's happening in our minds and what's moving in and out of our hearts? Even if the decisions you're making or the choices you're making don't seem to be that big of a deal, you and I need to be well aware and reminded all the time of principles of truth such as this in Proverbs 14 verse 12 there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death no matter how wise we are the problem is when you and I gain wisdom is we get pretty smart (laughs) at least we think we get pretty smart and so every one of us has a tendency to realize that life is a little slippery regardless of how you approach it you could end up in trouble Uh, We spent a lot of time on vacation, obviously, doing a little bit of nothing, but always kind of going on little adventures. And when you have a a daughter and son-in-law that loves to see how high they can climb or how quick they can get up Mount Washington, I was kind of challenged to say, well, why don't you hike with us? And I thought about it. You know, my bones aren't so great, uh, particularly my knee joints. And I thought, you know, this could really be dumb. But I was almost falling into my son-in-law's bait by saying, okay, come on, old guy. And I had a moment thinking, you know what, that's nice to defend myself. Now, but if I get halfway up that mountain, it's not gonna be very nice for me to figure out how do I get off the mountain, because climbing up that uh, acceleration, if you know anything about Mount Washington, it's a lot better of an experience to drive the car to the top and wait for them. And so we opted out. It was kind of funny because right away, as soon as they went off, you know, they're hiking, going real fast. We, we followed them for a little bit. We figured we'd check out a couple streams and then go. As soon as they were out of sight, Connie's one brother says, let's turn around and go to Dunkin' Donuts. And that's exactly what we did. We went back to Dunkin' Donuts, waited another hour, drank our coffee, ate a few donuts, and we drove the car at the top and we met them. <laughs> But every choice you and I make, every decision we make, could potentially put us in a very difficult spot because of simply, okay, I can do that kind of thing or whatever it is. But there's a way that seems right. And this particular one isn't talking about a decision to hike or not hike. But life is amazingly complex because in life there are real enemies such as the devil... And he loved to set you and I up for failure. And you and I need to be aware that we can get into trouble unless we're learning to say, Lord, give me some wisdom and let that wisdom remain in my mind and in my heart. So we constantly have to uh, be on guard and aware that even the smartest of us, we can look pretty dumb quick. The second thing is life that comes, life comes with plenty of risk factors, but we all know that every decision or choice also comes with a consequence. It's one thing to go on a hike and say, well, I'm gonna turn around and go back. It's another thing uh, um, to think about that some choices, there is no just erasing it. Such as, you know, when you make a poor financial investment, you and I realize it takes quite a while to get that thing paid off sometimes a moment of pleasure you get in your head or wherever it ends up, and you and I do things that cost us our reputation, our character. Some of us, we may take risks and adventure and find ourselves getting hurt. Um, Sometimes we may uh, invest uh, some of our talents and our our treasures or our dreams in life, and they become costly because we really haven't applied the wisdom in life. It's not, as uh, I was reading a book on this, and it talks about the fact that sometimes in our generation... We, 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 we play with games so much that when people die in these games, well, you just delete, start the game over again, and we kind of can grow up living with this game idea. It's like playing Monopoly, I remember, with my brothers. They, I mean, they were serious about this. They used to argue and say, who wins today will be the richest one. I mean, they were dead serious, and, but it's a game, okay? But, you know, life is so much more than a Monopoly game. You can't just fold it up and say, yeah, I got beaten, I quit, I move on, but life itself is important to know that what you invest, there are consequences. The beauty is that what we invest in, in our relationship with God, we lay up as treasures in heaven, that is good for eternity. And so there are positive things and there's negative things. The important thing is that there are rewards and consequences, whatever decision. Again, we might think, well, a lot of the little decisions I make really don't matter. As I mentioned before, and as many of us are well aware, how you and I go about processing decisions in little tiny areas kind of sets the tone for how you and I are going to process decisions tomorrow. It kind of sets it in that particular tone. A third thing we want to consider about the importance of that is the sowing and reaping principle is not only does this situation tend to lead to these circumstances, but we have a God who sees everything and he knows everything, and he has the ability and the power to bless you for making healthy choices. And so we have the sowing and reaping principle. We should not be deceived. God is not mock whatever a man sows. This he will also reap. And obviously that goes in one direction or the other. The important thing is to know that God knows, and he shares that with us. He speaks to us. So when our, our sensors are not working so well, and we're not necessarily thinking so wisely, we are fortunate to be a people of God, that God is able to knock on the heart, as hard as it might be, and say, Terry, what do you think you're doing? If not, my wife will help me. I'm going to pay for that one later. What's important is that God is able to give direction and leading in our life. And his purpose and intent is because he loves us, he cares for us, and he wants us to understand the beauty of learning to humbly make healthy choices. Well, there's no shortcut. I I could probably either refer you to the best books or preach my best sermon on how to make healthy choices. And for the most part, it's probably not going to change us in huge ways. The first thing I want to say about making healthy choices is to decide once and for all whether or not we really want to do that. I I think in some sense we go through life and we, we get these ideas about how God could guide us and give us wisdom and we love to make healthy choices and wise decisions in life. But sometimes within the thick and thin of everyday living, sometimes that's not always our number one priority in life. And so as clear as God may be, our receivers aren't necessarily working so well. We spent, I I was kind of amazed, we spent about half of our whole vacation time in the United States, and if somebody tried to call me, I would never know. I cannot believe how many places there are in New England, there's no cell service. We were in one house, and in one room you get cell service, and the other one, there's no service. I'm thinking, how does that work? And yet, you and I realize that we live, even as Christians, where our reception isn't working so well. And I think probably, for the most part, isn't because God is selective in communicating. It's some of us have a listening issue. And sometimes it's because we're busy, we're whatever it is. You and I know how that works. The important thing is to learn to somehow carefully and consistently humble ourselves enough to say, Lord... I really want to know what's right and true. And we can't just do that when we need God to answer a question or solve an issue. It becomes a way of living. Solomon seems to have lost that concern. I don't know what it's like, but I do in sort of sense know what it's like. When you get tempted, you got to make a decision. And I do know if you compromise in temptation, the next time... You can actually get used to being feeling okay when you're not okay. It's amazing how subtle and powerful that temptation force is. And I don't know how many wives he got before he no longer cared. I I don't know how that works. But to think 700 plus 300 concubines, I don't know how that works. I know one thing. This guy had some issues. The wisest man in the world anyway no wonder why some people doubt the scriptures on the other hand maybe it's that brings more credibility to it because the scriptures actually tell you the wisest man was really stupid okay so it gives a, a reference as we think about it. what's important to know is as long as we are trying to look for wisdom we stand a much greater chance of having wisdom And at some point when you get to 699 wives, 700 isn't going to make a difference. How can we humbly and confidently acquire and maintain this wisdom? Number one, we must want. And number two is we need to also humbly ask God that he might actually speak to us. In James chapter 1, chapter 5 and 6, we can look there and maybe that would be good if we give reference to that. Look in your Bibles and the Letter of James, chapter 1, and uh, we'll look at verses 5 and 6. Many of us are well aware of these scriptures, but it's a good, fresh reminder to think about it. I know God can give me wisdom, and I know that he actually wants to give wisdom. So some people might conclude, then why do you have to ask God for wisdom? I'm not exactly sure how to answer that, obviously within the time we have. But I know that if I don't ask for wisdom, the chances of making wise decisions drops. God has taught us that when you ask, not only you might get wisdom, but notice the emphasis upon uh, this promise in verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he, is, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I think we're well familiar with it. But the important thing is that you and I develop within the, the routine of our life to try to take some time to, to force ourselves to say, Lord, I need your wisdom. It's seemingly oversimplified. And yet it's important to understand that that is asking is important. The second thing, which is is right up there on on the beginning of developing a wisdom is, is allowing the scriptures to speak into your life. Over and over again, we realize that the word of God is in essence considered to be this book of wisdom. It is the mind of God, it's the heart of God, it's the truth of God. And so it's important as you and I journey through life That we don't just simply look into the Bible because we have a big decision to make. That might be good, But it's important to know as a way of life that you and I are constantly feeding upon the truth and letting the words of God be your guidance and your wisdom. Probably the most uh, difficult temptations that people will face in life, usually you don't get, a suggestion by the devil and he says I'll be back next week to see how you pass the test usually when temptation comes you don't have time to do your homework and figure out what God says it's important to know that a lot of the challenges you and I face the decisions that we have to make the ones that could get us into trouble quick you don't have a whole lot of time and so it's important to learn in life that you and I keep ourselves in tune with the truth not simply for the right answers But let our heart get in the right place. And so this is what Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 and 2 are talking about. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting that to know that truth and to be able to apply it is directly related to how you and I receive and embrace and process the, the word of God. I know many times within the, the, the counseling that I'm involved in, Uh, often the counseling is trying to help people discover that the question they're asking has already been answered by the Bible. And yet you and I know as well, we're all tempted to say, yeah, but I know, I think, I I want, I feel, and obviously life gets complicated when we, we seemingly tell ourselves that, well, God really didn't answer it as clear as maybe he could have answered it. And that leads us to the next one, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit. I know that when we cherish the Holy Spirit in our life, it's probably going to give what seems to be a couple different voices going on. And it's not that the Holy Spirit has two things to say. It's because we're still talking. <laughs> and, and it's important to learn how to cherish the truth in conjunction with the personal application of the Holy Spirit. When you and I ask for his guidance, I believe that God can give you that guidance, but sometimes it requires listening and waiting upon God without doing a whole lot of talking. If you're like me and you do a lot of talking out loud, it's very difficult to hear. And uh, I I struggle with that because I'm already thinking about what I think the answer is, rather than saying, Lord, help me to discover what your mind is concerning the matter. And so we need the, the work of the Holy Spirit constantly helping us to fine-tune the, our heart, making sure it's in the right place, and our mind with the truth, and it brings it uh, together. Uh, a fourth one, and I'm racing through this because we're running out of time. The fourth one is that the Holy Spirit uh, may, may very well speak to you and I pretty clearly. But quite often I have found, at least from my own experience is the Holy Spirit quite often uses one of you guys. And so you and I, as we we are trying to find answers to the questions of life, we're trying to deal with decisions, we're trying to uh, get input on the mind of God and what is right, is that God has uh, brought us together. He has brought people into your life and it's not just from this church, but you and I have people that you know, they have wisdom they have experience, they have a sweet relationship with God, and so we count on the Spirit of God working through other people as well, and so it's wise to listen to what other individuals who have been walking with God, they may have very well been through experiences just like you and I have been through before, and that input or that uh, agreement that takes place is in fact a very precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, when uh, you, know, you share your life, uh, people get to know you, you get to trust them, they trust you, they may share some things, but sometimes within the Christian community, um, we may not want to confront somebody if they're still off a little bit, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Our tendency is to say, well, I don't want to offend, I don't want to hurt, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is able... To help you and I realize if we're willing to take time and pray and search the scriptures to know that, yes, my friends were honest to me, at least to a certain point, but they didn't finally tell me the bottom line of what it's about. And and God's grace can cover that. So as we work through these things, we can experience a, a lot of challenges in that. The last thing I want to say is that concept of waiting. Turn with me to Psalm 27. This is, this is nice when you have it on a plaque on your wall. But it's not always so comfortable when you're the one that has to wait. <laughs> but Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You and I are constantly dealing with a trust factor. We go through life, we experience God in our relationship. Uh, we all go through circumstances which often lead to the fact that we know we need to make a decision. We've got to make a choice. And so life, as complicated as it gets, our tendency is probably, if we want to hear from God, we really like it this afternoon. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? And sometimes when you look through scriptures and look through promises, you might get the idea, like, God, you've used your time up. And yet there's no shortcut to the waiting process. And I think that's where God is able to bring the pieces together. Is that you and I are humble enough to know that God isn't on our timetable. We need to trust until he gives us a sure peace in our heart. Those decisions are important. Now obviously that has a lot to do with big decisions. But what we ought to probably learn and maybe make a decision today is to say, Lord help me to learn to trust you in the little decisions of life. If we could trust his leading and direction in the little ones, the big ones become more of an opportunity to say, you spoke in the past, you spoke to me just in the near future, and now I'm gonna trust you even more in the days ahead. There really is no formula for this, and yet at the same time, you and I will begin to gain some kind of a reputation And that is, either we are a people who really want to know the mind and heart of God, or we may not. And the beauty is that life is so much different, it's so much richer, so much more meaningful to be able to not only share how God has provided, but also how God has led us from where we've been to where we're at. As I look forward to the next couple years of the next reunion, It's exciting, particularly for the family members that have a faith, to ask them, how's it going? Some of the choices they made, the ministries they're involved in, what is God doing in your life? And I trust that we are asked the same kind of questions as we journey on, knowing that those choices, those decisions, whether they seem little or not, they really do make a difference, not just in our lives, but in the next generations to follow. Let's pray. Lord we thank you for the beauty of this life and we thank you for the assurance that the direction we're living. There's a reason why we do it. There's a way in which we live and we know that it has brought blessings and benefits to life. Thank you for the wisdom you give even the times that we really didn't ask directly but you gave it to us when we needed it and we thank you for that. We thank you Lord for the assurance we have that the decisions we make We know that we can trust you all the way through it, and we give you thanks and praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.